Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime podcast. I'm Ishwarya, your host for this episode, and I'm Aryan. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for amazing exclusive features like merch, awesome extra episodes, early access episodes, video calls with us and more. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to www.patreon.com/desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. We'd also like to thank our newest patrons, Naomi Sher, Lindsay Lu, Mockingbird and Catherine Collins. Any contribution you make in helping run this podcast means the world to us. We've all heard crazy cases of disappearances. Oftentimes, young women disappear like Sneha Philip or young children disappear like Geeta and Sanjay Chopra at the hands of Ranga and Billa. Unfortunately, disappearances aren't uncommon. What is uncommon is for an entire family to vanish into thin air, leaving behind no trace at all. What happens when three generations of a family all disappear as if they never existed? What happens is that Scotland Yard spirals into one of the most complex manhunts in UK history, traveling to four countries and collecting 4000 documents to solve a case that drove the world insane this is the story of that manhunt this is the story of the disappearance of the chauhan family as a staple now a big shout out to desi crime youtube we finally launched our first video ashwara how cool was that firstly it was incredible so many people were at the premiere the sort of live uploading of the episode there were so many people in the live chat we've reached i think 5000 views right now and we're at like 8000 subscribers which is incredible since the episode it's just incredible. went up wednesday yeah it's and awesome you know the love being showered by you guys on us uh, we we appreciate that so much but that love should also be directed towards the awesome team at lost debate nick lucy sam and i can keep naming the awesome people who made desi crime youtube come true so go hit the link in the episode description uh, more episodes are bound to drop every wednesday at 5:30 pm india time and we can't wait for you to you know see all of this yeah we really hope you guys enjoy it we've put a lot of love and work into this okay ashwara so the case we have on hand today it is one of you know those cases that our instagram dms uh, are filled with yes. it is <laughs> cover the chohan family cover the chohan family and truth be told i literally have no idea what this case is Perfect. about and it makes no sense to me that an entire family just disappears in your words i don't even know if they did but this intrigues me and it bewilders me and it's so uneasy because to think that somebody disappears and nobody found them the open endedness of that so tell us what this case is and are you taking us all the way to uk to start the story 
Before we begin this case though, and I tell you where I'm taking you, I want to give a huge shout out to the BBC Channel 4 and their documentary on the Johan family. A lot of the audio from the interviews in this episode is taken from that documentary and it's been an invaluable source of information for this episode. Okay, so actually for this case, while this case is set in the United Kingdom, I'm taking you to New Zealand first. New Zealand on the 15th of February 2003. Journalist Onkar Verma, a young Punjabi Sikh man, had woken up worried. His 25-year-old sister Nancy Chahan, who he was very, very close to, but who also lived 7,000 miles away from him in Hunslow, London, wasn't answering his calls. This was weird because having not seen each other for nine years since they moved to different countries from India, the two talked very often. And recently, the two had been talking a lot more. You see, Nancy had just given birth to a baby boy two months ago, her second son. So while Nancy worked as a secretary for her husband's Fred company, she had taken a break during her pregnancy to just stay home and raise her two young boys – two-month-old Davinder and one-year-old Ravinder. Onkar would regularly get calls from Nancy with updates on the baby, with his laughter in the background and would get the newborn's pictures in his mail. So when Onkar kept calling the home landline, but nobody answered for two days, he was worried. Where could she have gone? She had a two-month-old baby after all. She should be at home. And even if she wasn't picking up, Unkar and Nancy's mother was living with Nancy in London, helping her during her pregnancy and now with the young babies. Why wasn't she picking up the phone either? Unkar's worry was soon starting to turn into anxiety. But the fact that they talked almost every day wasn't the only reason Unkar was panicking. Something had happened just two days ago on the 13th of February that was eating away at him. He had had a conversation with Nancy that he couldn't stop replaying in his head. When Nancy had called on the 13th, she was the one panicking. Her husband, Amarjeet Singh Chauhan, a man 20 years older than her, the father of her two children, hadn't come back home from work the night before. Now, Amarjeet was a busy man. He was a successful millionaire who had turned a small freight business into an empire through his hard work and with a loyal and dedicated team behind him, including his wife Nancy, who also worked in the company with him. So there were times Amarjeet couldn't pick up the phone. There were times he would leave for business meetings at the drop of a hat. It wasn't abnormal. But not coming home for a night or for the entire next day and not answering the phone for two whole days and his phone being switched off for two whole days was as far from normal as it could be. So Nancy had called the company, Siba Freight, to ask where he was and they told her there was nothing to worry about. He had flown out to the Netherlands for work. This was reassuring to Nancy, but still weird. He just left for the Netherlands without telling her. But at least he was alright, she thought. Then, just seconds after that phone call with the company ended, it hit Nancy. He couldn't have left for the Netherlands. He couldn't have flown out of the country at all. The couple didn't have their passports. Now, neither of them were British citizens and had submitted their passports to the UK Home Office as a step in the application to get their citizenship. 
her heart sank again where was her husband the man she was madly in love with the man who just two days ago was holding a video recorder recording her and her babies play around the house the video footage is available online and it's as beautiful as it is sad and eerie we've uploaded the stills from that video on our instagram at desi crime ishwara um just in case you happen to know was this a love marriage or an arranged marriage it was a love marriage and you'll get to know the story of their love later in the episode but they were crazily in love they chose to be married hmm okay so now nancy is panicking and she's worried but later that day some hours after she had called the company she gets a voice message on her phone and it's from amarjeet for a few minutes there yet again she isn't worried for his safety anymore she was annoyed that he left without telling her with her two young babies but she thought to herself again at least he's safe but as she played that voice message her heart sank yet again something was wrong with this audio message she and her husband would always talk to each other only in punjabi this audio message was amarjeet speaking in english hello nancy don't panic i'm okay i'll be back tomorrow This message did not sound normal to Nancy. This is when she called her brother Omkar and narrated the incidents to him. There is nothing more abnormal than a message that sounds too normal. Absolutely. And there's nothing more abnormal than a message that says don't panic. I'm okay. Like she didn't yeah. even ask. <laughs> that if, that's not a good yeah, preface. Yeah, that's not a good sounding message at all. So I see why she was panicking. And so she calls her brother Omkar and narrates the entire incident to him. Omkar had told her to give it just a little more time, maybe a day more before approaching the authorities. Since she did receive the voice message from him, the company did tell her that he had gone out of the country on urgent business. And so, Nancy waited. A day passed, and instead of Nancy hearing back from Amarjeet, Omkar stopped hearing from Nancy and his mother Charanjeet Kaur. He waited for a day more. and then he wrote to the metropolitan police in london narrating to them what he knew requesting a routine missing persons inquiry into nancy and amarjeet's uk home the uk police told him they'd go and check the house and they swiftly did so they found the home empty at first glance when they talked to the neighbors all of them said they hadn't seen or heard anything suspicious it was perfectly plausible that the family had just gone somewhere After all, how can a grown 45-year-old man, his 51-year-old mother-in-law, a 25-year-old woman and two young kids old enough to only be crying at the tiniest of distress just disappear without making a sound? It seemed implausible. The logical explanation was they had all voluntarily left. The police said that it was too soon to rule that they had all disappeared and that something was wrong. They told Onkar that they won't be pursuing a search for the family just yet. They told Onkar that he needed to give the family some time, some time to reach out either to him or to someone else. After all this was 2003. Reaching out to a family member in a different country, in a different continent wasn't just a 2 second job the way it is today. It was tough, time consuming and expensive to make these calls. But Onkar didn't buy the police's logic. So he began applying for his visa to come to the UK immediately. 
It was finally on the 5th of March 2003 that Onkar made it to London and he went straight to his sister's house. The moment he entered, nothing was immediately alarming to him. The house seemed normal just as the police had told him. But the closer Onkar looked, the more the house sent shivers down his spine. Just minutes after stepping into the house, it began to look like a nightmare, like a scene right out of the most sinister movies. Toys belonging to his two nephews lay all over the floor of the house, as if just moments ago two children were playing there, as if they would come running out of their rooms any moment now to play again. The refrigerator was turned on and completely stocked with food, as if a family was just going to pull out the groceries any moment now and prepare themselves a dinner. The washing machine was full of clothes, as if Nancy had just put them in 60 minutes ago and was going to come back to put them in the dryer any moment now. On a table in the house, Onkar found a ticket under his mother's name to go back to India, but the date for the flight had passed. His mother never boarded the plane she had booked for herself. And the most eerie detail of all, his mother's prayer book written in Punjabi a book she never even left the house to go to the market without was laying on the table untouched ishwarya what you are describing and i do not mean to belittle um the scene you've set but it's the best analogy that i can come up with is uh for all those marvel avengers fans out there when thanos sort of snapped his fingers right and half the population of earth disappeared what yep. what you're describing is like everyone in the chauhan family was part of that uh 50% that disappeared in thin air um just out of nowhere that, that you're telling me the washing machine was filled there was air tickets there were toys out it just it literally sounds like they just they were there a second ago and now they're not exactly the only sign of their ever being alive in that house was even creepier was all of these toys in the washing machine and that right. sign is creepier and other than that there's nothing it's like they just up and exactly left. as i said as i said too normal is too it normal too normal is eerie yes exactly i'm going to run with that slogan now <laughs> that's another one of our catchphrases but this yeah. house aran which was once hustling and bustling with the sounds of a couple in love with two young children and a doting grandmother was so silent you could hear a pin drop the silence told onkar a story of something gone wrong of a family not on a spontaneous vacation but of a family that disappeared he made his way to the police station and told them just what he had seen they had to believe that all of this was eerie that something was wrong and this time the police did they searched the house and they knew they needed to begin an investigation that very day the police interrogated the neighbors of the chauhans their friends their co-workers at siva freight and by late march the police noticed something had happened at amarjeet's company upon speaking with the workers at the company the police realized that amarjeet's company had been sold off on february 17th just 4 days after onkar had spoken to his sister for the last time An employee at Siba named Kenneth Regan had met with all of the other workers at the company to give them the news on the 17th. He introduced them all to a woman named Belinda Bruin, the new owner of Siba Freight. 
he showed them all a signed power of attorney from Amarjeet, which clearly stated that Amarjeet had sold off his company to Belinda Bruin and taken his entire family back to India. This was suspicious to all of the workers, but Amarjeet and Nancy had talked about how much they missed home and their whole extended family back in India. Nancy had actually wanted Amarjeet to retire for quite a while now. They wanted their kids to be raised in India. With all of this in context, with all of these details in mind, the employees just accepted their new boss, hoping they would hear from Amarjeet and moved on with their lives. But... I've just introduced you to two new people in this story, Kenneth Regan and Belinda Bruin. Who are they? When did Kenneth start working at SIBA? How was Kenneth related to Belinda? Who was Belinda? There are all of these questions to which I know you want the answers. And for those answers, I'm going to take you back to the year 1996. In the year 1996, Amarjeet was married, but Nancy was not. Amarjeet had actually been married for two decades when in 1996, he was put behind bars in England on charges of tax evasion. Once he got out a couple years later, he divorced his first wife, started Siva Freight, fell in love with the much younger Nancy and decided to turn his life around. By the year 2000, he had married Nancy and decided to start a beautiful family together. The two were madly in love. Amarjit was making more money than ever before and it seemed like his problematic past with money and his failed marriage of 20 years had all left him behind. And then, one day in the year 2002, walked right through the doors of his office a man named Kenneth Regan. Like Amarjeet, Kenneth Regan had had a troubled past, but unlike Amarjeet, Regan had become somewhat of a societal outcast due to his criminal activities. In 1998, he was arrested for smuggling 25 kilograms of heroin and then sentenced to 18 years in prison. But his smuggling of heroin this time wasn't an isolated one-time incident for money. Regan was a known name in the wealthy drug circles and criminally rich gang families in London. Through his drug business, he had amassed so much wealth that his name on the streets of London was Captain Cash. Regan was no ordinary man. He was a dangerous and hardened criminal who had gotten out of prison after serving just four out of his 18-year sentence because he had chosen to testify against 12 other criminals in exchange for a shorter sentence. But Amarjeet saw parts of himself in Regan. He saw a man trying to start over, trying to find himself a new life, trying to search for his place in society again. After prison, Regan had no money, no assets, no friends, and had moved back into a tiny apartment he shared with his father. And Amarjeet wanted to help. And Amarjeet wasn't like this just with Regan. He was known by all of his colleagues to be an understanding and deeply forgiving and caring man. He believed in second chances, third chances and changed people and reformed lives. And this is what he saw in Regan. Soon, Regan began working at Siba, operating a number of trucks for Amarjeet. But Regan not only had a complicated legal life, he had a complicated romantic life too. A year before he went to prison, he had met a very pretty-looking woman named Belinda Bruin at a very fancy bar in London. 
Belinda was a socialite and celebrity agent who was living the high life that Regan was. He was a bit rough, I think. Not not well educated, quite charming, dressed well, nice watch, spent a lot of money. He was kind of like a, a a rich wide boy. Regan's nickname was Captain Cash. He always had a lot of money and I mean high denomination notes. He had a briefcase and I've seen that twice and it was just full of money. And I think he thought it bought in class when he had none whatsoever. And slowly but surely Regan fell in love with Belinda or something he considered to be love at least. He would tell her he had never felt like this with any woman before in the last 30 years of his life. He said she was like a drug for him, hard to let go of and forget. He told their common friends that she was his girlfriend, all while she didn't even want to be associated with him. She found his behavior bizarre, irrational and worrying, especially his grand proclamations of love to her when according to her, he hardly even knew her. But shortly after professing his love for Belinda, Regan was put in prison. But now, in 2002, working at Seba and out of prison, he began pursuing Belinda yet again. His obsessive behavior began the same as before, only getting stronger with time. After months of working at Seba, he called Belinda in February of 2003, telling her that he had a business offer for her. At the same time he began telling Amarjeet that there was a party interested in buying his business from him. Amarjeet knowing his wife wanted him to retire and knowing they both possibly wanted to raise their kids in India agreed to meet with the buyers that Regan had found. So nothing is fishy as of now. He finds Belinda who wants a job and Amarjeet who has a company to sell and he seems to be making an effort to get the two in contact and have the company be sold. what Regan will gain from getting the company sold to Belinda we don't know yet the woman didn't even like him but it seems like just business so far now this is something i wondered it makes sense that amarjeet wanted to meet with the party to sell his company but why would belinda agree to meet and work with regan this seemingly unstable obsessive man who she knew could be dangerous You see Belinda had two children she was educating in expensive private schools. She had left her old job and moved to a huge house located in a farm in Devon in southwest London and her boyfriend had recently broken up with her leaving her with lots of liabilities and no support. So when Regan called with a business proposal Belinda agreed to see him out of desperation. So the date for the meeting to have the company be sold off was set February 13th. the day before Valentine's Day. Regan set up a meeting between Chauhan and the buying party at the historic Stonehenge. Amarji told his employees he was leaving for a meeting to sell off the company and that he'd update them on how it went. He said uh, I'm I'm going off to do a deal um and sell the company. He said and I'll uh, I'll let you know. And uh, that was the last time I saw him. Now when I say historic Stonehenge some of you are probably going I don't know what the hell that is but you know exactly what I'm talking about it's that historic monument in England with lots of yeah. huge rocks one on top of another look it up I know you've seen it before Now Aryan is that or is that not a fishy yeah. location for a business <laughs> meeting it's like honestly like Mukesh Ambani meeting under the Qutub Minar to sell off his business empire it sounds really <laughs> weird to me Right right it's like 
firstly it's it's not fishy fishy is perhaps the last thing that comes to my he- sure. my head it is weird like it's yeah. like dude it, it's like a business deal between ratan tata him acquiring jaguar being conducted in let's do it in taj mahal or something like it makes no sense it makes no and the sense. stonehenge is stonehenge is prehistoric like if if you have any idea to to get to the stonehenge and let me insert one of my travel stories no i'm not going to do that but <laughs> i i wanted to go to the stonehenge when i was in scotland and they told me it's like a 6 hours journey and you have to wait for 2 hours in the line and i was like yeah screw that so it's in the middle of why nowhere why would anybody do a business it's in the mi- it's literally in the middle of nowhere and unlike india there aren't people everywhere when you find an isolated prehistoric monument right. chances are it'll be empty as hell so it's really weird i agree Now around the same time Regan also meets with Belinda. Belinda knew that she had no relevant experience for the job he was offering her and his job proposal was so fantastic it seemed incredibly fake. He was offering her 70,000 pounds or almost 120,000 US dollars in 2003 money for only a 2-day work week for the post of the managing director of Seba Freight. What did I say Ashwarya this is the third time I'm going to say it but too normal It's is abnormal too weird I agree he even gave her an offer letter signed by Amarjeet which stated he was willing to sell off the company to her and Jesus. Belinda accepted the job Ashwarya back to the stonehenge just for sake of clarification so Belinda never met Amarjeet right right Regan was her conduit for all of these negotiations and conversations, correct? Yes. So, who the hell did Amarjeet meet at Stonehenge? Yeah, you're right. If Belinda was the buyer, why is he meeting Belinda separately and taking Amarjeet to the Stonehenge to meet God knows who? Right. Technically, the buying party is Belinda, but that's not who Amarjeet met at Stonehenge. We have no idea who Amarjeet met at Stonehenge. Not yet anyway. Yeah. All we know is that he went there for a business meeting with the party wanting to buy his company that Kenneth Regan introduced him to and then he vanished into thin air. Nobody saw him ever again because apparently he sold off his company in that meeting and decided to never go back to work. 2 days after this meeting his wife, children and mother-in-law also disappeared because apparently Amarjeet had taken them all to India. But don't jump the gun just yet. What happened at Stonehenge will be revealed later. For now, just know that Amarjeet supposedly sold off the company, took his family and left the country, and Belinda is the new owner of Seba Freight. On the 17th, 4 days after Omkar's last worrying conversation with his sister, Regan introduced Belinda to the rest of the workers as their new boss, telling them that Amarjeet had left the country forever. This job offer had given Regan an excuse to obsessively follow or meet up with Belinda. He increased his contact with her. He'd come up with bizarre reasons like he'd want me to sign a letter or a form or he'd want me to help him fill in a form and he'd drive all the way from Salisbury or from London to my house for 20 minutes. And then slowly from obsessing over Belinda He began obsessing over Belinda's house and the farmland on which it was located. 
he would constantly comment on the flaws in her house how dirty the mud roads were how he could never live in a location like that how he could install electronic gates for her how he could get a wall around the farmland built for her how he could get her overgrown trees and shrubs cut down then he began telling her that she absolutely needed a drainage ditch on her land and that he could have men come and dig it up but belinda kept brushing his requests aside on her second day at work the 18th of february belinda began to feel sick and decided to go home instead of staying for the day at the office as she drives up the muddy path to her huge home she sees something that makes the hair on the back of her neck stand she sees an old beaten up jaguar she wasn't expecting visitors so this was odd as she got out of her car and walked up to her house she noticed something even creepier two men in her field men she did not know or recognize with one of those huge digging trucks digging up a ditch on her land when i pulled into the drive i couldn't believe it there was this old beaten up jaguar and i thought what on earth is going on here and i saw these two guys in my field with a digger i went absolutely mad and i i swore a lot and i said you know what on earth did they think they were doing and he said well we're building you a drainage ditch you know there's this bloody great big ditch in the middle of my field running along the side of the hedge i just couldn't believe it the two men doing the digging were friends of surprise surprise kenneth regan and infuriated belinda asked for regan to come up and explain himself how could he just have people come over to her land and dig up this huge hole without her permission i thought you would appreciate it he said she tells the men to get off her property and chooses to let go of the incident Despite this incident though Regan seemed to be living the life he had always dreamed of. He was now in charge of all operations at Seba Freight. The company was essentially his to take over. The woman he was madly obsessed with was now in his workspace on his payroll working for him every day and he had almost inherited a multi-million dollar business for nothing. What Regan did not know was that just a month later by mid-March Onkar Verma would have arrived in the UK in a hunt for his sister, his mother, his brother-in-law and his nephews. Not only had Onkar begun a hunt, he had successfully managed to get the police involved this time. He had convinced them that something sinister had happened to this family. And now the police also knew of the fishy circumstances under which the company was suddenly sold off. On finding all of this out, the cop knew there was one man and one man alone they needed to investigate, Kenneth Regan. The cops quickly call in Regan for interrogation and obviously Regan tells the cops a story, a story of how Amarjeet had been in deep financial trouble for the past few months. After all, Amarjeet had a history of being in deep financial trouble. He told the cops about Amarjeet's previous wife and the fact that Amarjeet was put in jail in England for tax evasion. Once he got out of jail a couple years later he decided to turn his life around but his financial troubles followed him Kenneth told the cops and so by 2003 he decided to run away to evade the law after some shady deals and it's not like they had no contact with Amarjeet 
Regan tells the police that around March 24th, around the time the cops began taking this case seriously, the employees at Seabar received a letter from Amarjeet. The letter said he was in France with his entire family waiting to leave for India. The police heard Regan's story, but they knew he was lying. They checked with the UK Home Office and both Nancy and Amarjeet's passports were still there, not with the couple. There was absolutely no way the couple could have left the UK or even thought about entering India without their passports. The police used cell phone towers to locate Amarjeet's phone's last known location and it wasn't France, it wasn't India, it wasn't his house or the Siva office. It was Stonehenge, the location of the last meeting. The cops knew that Regan lived not so far from Stonehenge in a village in Salisbury. From Regan's mobile phone tracking, they realized that Amarjeet and Regan had their mobile phone locations coincide that morning, which is expected since they both went to the meeting at Stonehenge. From that location, the phones went further south to Exeter. And from there, the phones lost signal and there was no known location. The trail ended. But the cops were near Belinda Bruin's house, the woman who had bought Amarjeet's company. And so they decided they would just pay her a visit that day. When Regan found out that the police were about to visit Belinda at her home, he got incredibly angry and agitated. He told her to not let them enter her farmland. He said they'd trouble and harass her and that she should only meet them outside her house in a different location. Obviously, she didn't listen to him and waited for the cops to arrive. But before the cops could go to visit Belinda, they received a call from one of Regan's friends and associates, William Hornsey. William Hornsey, by the way, was one of the two men that was digging up the drainage ditch on Belinda's land when she walked in on them. William Hornsey calls the cops and tells them something that shocks them. He says he had recently talked to Amarjeet, who was actually not in France or in India. He was still in the UK. Hornsey said Amarjeet had called him asking for fake passports for him and his family in Wales and that he was going to give them to him and the police could follow him if they wanted to see Amarjeet was alive and take him into custody for trying to flee the country without passports after committing some financial crime. The cops call Belinda and tell her that they won't be coming to visit her that day. They had come across some new information, they said, and they probably won't have to come meet her at all. Ah, that I know. pisses me off. My feelings, exactly. <laughs> Just send two people, guys. Just, Just two send cops. one. One with send a gun one. and that's enough. Come no, on. They weren't going to do that. They weren't meeting Belinda that day. And then, Aryan, oh, Belinda received a call from Regan asking if the police had cancelled. And she said yes, they did. He then told her the reason that the police cancelled. The police were going to Wales to arrest Amarjeet. Did the police see Amarjeet Chauhan meet with William Hornsey to take the fake passports? Did they arrest him? If they did catch him in the UK, where had he been all this while? How had he written a letter from Paris if he didn't have his real passport or a fake passport? What if Amarjeet did something to his family? He had a criminal past too. Why didn't Amarjeet wait to get the fake passport just a few days and then leave before selling his company and moving his family elsewhere? Why this entire charade of disappearing? 
If he didn't want to be caught, why didn't he just tell his wife to call Onkar and tell him that they were going on a vacation somewhere and won't be able to talk for a while? These are all questions I bet you want the answers to, but I won't give them to you in this episode. What I will tell you before we end is this. In April of 2003, by which time the cops and Onkar had been searching for the Johan family for 2 months now, on a bright sunny day, a father and son decided to go canoeing in Dorset, which is 2.5 hours away from London. The father and son, Dave and Carl Chapman, ventured out into the sea further than they had initially planned. And then they noticed something. They noticed something floating in the water. We planned to go out for an evening's canoeing. Nice, quiet day, nice calm sea, pleasantly warm at the time of year. Yeah, so it was an enjoyable evening that uh, we decided to venture out further than what we normally would do. After a short while. I noticed something floating in the sea. It appeared to be three floating objects, which, at a distance, was unusual. 